Hello, I'm Pia, a married, semi-employed, full-time graduate student mom from Atlanta with two boys, Andrew, 12, and Emmanuel, who is three. Hi, I'm Brianne, a stay-at-home mom from New York City that currently lives in Houston, Texas with my husband and three young children. They are six years and under. Well, if you all remember a few episodes ago, maybe it was last episode, I don't remember. We had Sabali with us, and Sabali's here with us once again because she wanted to come back to hear our birth stories because we got to hear her birth story. So today, Brienne and I are going to share our birth stories. I'm going to let Brienne go first because Brienne had three babies <laughs> to my two, so she has lots to share. Right. Um, well, with my first daughter, I uh, I got a, a midwife team. It was with an OB practice. Okay. Um, and I thought that was a nice way of going natural, but being safe, because at the time, I was under the impression that you know, hospital births were the safe place to be, and if anything happened, at least you're in the hospital. And so that's what I was, that's what I was looking for, and that's what I got. And as I went through my, my um, pregnancy, everything was fine. Um, I was a happy pregnant person. <laughs> and then towards the end, I remember I start to itch. My hands start to itch. My feet start to itch. And one night I woke up just uh, went looking for a brush okay. to brush my feet. Because the itch was so bad. And then I thought to myself, okay, if you're brushing your feet, something's not right. Something is not right here. Okay. So then I went on the internet. And the answer that Dr. Google. Dr. Google was like two o'clock in the morning. But really, I went on the internet because I thought to myself, you must have athlete's foot. I've never even had athlete's foot before. <laughs> but I went because I'm like, you must have athlete's foot and you need to go figure out what's a safe way for a pregnant woman to treat athlete's foot. Mm -hmm. So I went on. I went on the internet, I think I started to type in itchy feet, and then, you know how Google will- It auto-prompt. It, uh, it said pregnancy. And I was like, how does Google want pregnant? Because <laughs> a lot of people searched it for it. Like, right, exactly, that was a popular search. Mm -hmm. And I clicked on it, and it said, you know, you have, if you're itching and you're pregnant, you need to see your doctor right away. So I called the midwives, and they were chill through my whole, the whole pregnancy. There were always any fear I had, they were, Oh no, don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. I call them up and I'm like, you know, my hands and feet are itching. And they were like, we'll see you today. Mm -hmm. And that was Friday. And I got into the, um, went to, to see the, the doctor. And they said, well, we think you have ICP and um, that's cholestasis. And I had never heard of what cholestasis was. And they explained to me that the chances of me having a stillborn was 20%. Oh no. And I needed to give birth <laughs> right away. How many weeks were you at this time? 41 weeks. Okay. So I was full. No, so you were full term. I was full term, but I, I wanted to go into a natural, natural labor. spontaneous labor. Natural spontaneous labor. I hired a doula. I went to Bradley birthing classes. I wanted to, to have the natural route. And so the whole idea of induction was not, not on the table. Not on the table. Yeah. So um, I said to them, well, can I go home and um, see if it happens this weekend and just not be induced? And the midwife said, okay, well, I'll give you till Monday. And she gave me the medication for the cold and I went home. 
trying to do everything I could do under the sun to go into labor, but Monday came, I had to be induced. And it was a long labor. The baby wasn't progressing, and it was not big, wasn't progressing, but it stalled. And then the baby's heartbeat started to increase, it's elevated. Right, it was going direct, it was up and down. And everything that you don't want to happen was starting to happen in the hospital. You know, um, well, not the hospital, in the labor. So they started to talk about a C-section. Oh no. And I was praying and chanting and just trying to figure out like how I could not have a C-section. But then they called in a doctor and she, was, she said to me, I know you don't want to have a C-section, but I've been looking at your charts and I highly recommend you have the C-section. So then I went in for the C-section and it was really, whatever the medicine was, they gave me, was making me like hit myself. Like I couldn't control my hands. Did, I yeah, they didn't tie your hands down? I asked them to tie my hands. They don't usually tie your hands down. They don't, I guess it's, I'm humane. I could have sworn that mine were, well, they did. Maybe I, I asked. Don't remember. I, I don't asked. Remember. I asked. I kept on hitting myself, and I was like, I think I'm gonna hit my baby. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Can you tie my hands down? And so they tied my hands down. I gave birth, and to a healthy, beautiful girl. I remember the first thing the doctor said to me afterwards, and she claimed it wasn't the first thing, but this is what I remember. She said, "You can have me back if you want." Oh, and I was like. Oh, and then twenty months later, about eighteen months later, I was pregnant again, and I wanted to go the to the OB to the doctors that were associated with the midwives because the midwives can't um, in Houston they can't do the VBAC unless not your first VBAC you have to have a second VBAC. <laughs> the bureaucracy of it all. Right, you have to have a second VBAC, but I wasn't too keen on those on those midwives at this point anyway because okay. one of them told me something that really upset me she said something about my pelvis was small and how do you the pelvis that you have when you're not giving birth is not the same pelvis you have when you're giving birth because that's the purpose of the pelvis exactly so it just made me question that whole practice i, mean, I just felt like i just rather be with a doctor at this point anyway because i think that you guys are just doctors but in I don't know in the midwife yeah, clothing in a midwife clothing I just might as well just be with the doctor and just not take out the faults because I couldn't go into um, like, like I said in Houston they, the midwives won't take me until um, because I have a, a successful feedback so going to a freestanding midwife wasn't something I could do especially with the colostasis okay so I, that I, I did not have that option so the next doctors I went so I went looking for a doctor and I went to ICANN which is a support group for people with C-sections mm -hmm. and that's where I really saw birth trauma I I had a disappointing story I they yeah. had birth trauma that's the way you put it. I had a I disappointing, disappointing story, story. That's, that's not true. that's not what I wanted to happen um but I wasn't traumatized there was no time I didn't feel like the power was being taken away from me. I had a lot of options. I was able to go home for a whole weekend. You know, it, it wasn't what I wanted, but I didn't feel bad about any about anything except for the fact that I didn't actually have a vaginal birth. Anyway, so I went looking for a doctor and I went to the eye candy meeting because a lot of these women had VBACs. And I asked them, um, 
which doctor would they recommend? And you know which doctor they recommended? Who? The doctor that gave this instruction. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. So you went to her. And I apparently she's hard to get into. She's hard. She, she is. She was the, and it was she was the one on call the night. Um, Not even with my OBs. She was with another practice. She was like, I think they called the hospitalist. Like yes. the backup backup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so she took me because this was her her cut. Yeah, yeah. I was her patient. She's a badass. Mm -hmm. I love her. She took me and um because I had cold stations, I had to be induced again at 37 weeks with Talia. Had my same um my same doula and she's awesome. And I did the uh, the the what is it called the the baby the hypnosis oh oh, Hip, oh the hypnobirthing and that supported me a lot in my pregnancy because I was slightly more stressed out this pregnancy because of the colostations mm -hmm. and you had like a toddler and I had a toddler <laughs> right so I could listen to the hypnobirthing um the hypnobirthing tapes and it would get me back into a place and that's something I really understood when you're giving birth when you're pregnant, you need to have, a, at least in this society, I don't know if any other society is like this, but there's so much negativity coming at you when you're pregnant from, oh my goodness, you're so big, and oh, is that twins, or are you due yet? When is the baby coming? Or so much, so much coming at you that you need to put yourself in a bubble, and those CDs really put me in a bubble, and, um, and, and I also had to uh, go to the the hospital every week to go on stress tests and I would just listen to my hypno baby CDs and it would put me in a special place <laughs> and it just it really worked for me and I, I highly recommend it and then it was time for me to give birth I had to be induced but in the end I still had a vaginal birth with an amazing doctor That's and I love her to the point where I haven't told since I'm not going to have kids anymore. I don't have to see her. And I was like, I have to go back one more time to say goodbye to her. And she wasn't the one to, um, to give birth with me with Cole. Cole had a different doctor because uh, my doctor had to go on vacation. And everyone needs to go on vacation. But um, I had another, another successful VBAC. This one was, a, they had a lot more um, medical intervention with this one. And it bothered me a little bit because they put, a, they put something in his head because they couldn't monitor him. And if I have daughter, I mean, I do have daughters, but my daughters and my, my son's wife or my son's partner, whoever, the next generation may have children. I'm really gonna encourage them and support them to have home births, uh, just not be in the hospital if they can not be there. Because I just feel like, they want to be in control of your birth and it's not a powerful birth. It's just, it's just work. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of people who work in the hospitals, they don't, they don't believe in the mother and her birth. I remember on Facebook, one of my friends from high school, she's a, a labor nurse and she made a joke with another labor nurse about, about, uh, birth implants and how ridiculous they are. And it just showed me, I'm like, they're not believing in us. No. They're not. And, and I, well, I was lucky enough to be in a hospital that was very encouraging to have a birth plan. And they listened to everything I said as far as I didn't want um, 
I did want a resident in the room once because of it, my dead resident, she never came back. <laughs> then there was one resident that I did love and she could stay. <laughs> you know, I was always hurt. And, and so even though I had a hostile birth, there still could be a lot of good stories to it. But I can see how having a home birth or in a different setting could be more empowering to the to families. Okay. All right. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of doctors even say like usually the, the rule of thumb is like don't come to the hospital unless you have to. And right. usually what happens is women come to the hospital too, too soon. Too soon right. And that's when the interventions start happening. Like ideally what happens is like the baby's head is crowning and you're rolling into yeah. the hospital. That's right? how you're supposed to go when you're in active labor. labor. But you know what? I want to guess and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong because I'm never wrong. <laughs> that women don't know when they're in active labor. Oh, no. I don't think that's that they've done the research that but we're not in a society anymore where we grow up seeing women in labor. That's true. That's that part is of it true. is just os osmosis, right? You, you don't just know in it. the environment so you see it. And then the other thing, women don't even know their body parts. No, they don't know their <laughs> body parts. I mean, people are even afraid to name their body parts. And I also think that women have been conditioned to think that birth is a medical process and they have to go to the hospital and they don't trust themselves to even do something as simple as time their contractions yeah because if your contractions are every 20 minutes apart why are you going to the hospital right. I, I so you know just the free birther here i just take a very <laughs> different dynamic towards it is that one pregnancy is not a medical condition just like you know unless it is <laughs> then, mine was thank you. unless it is so let that's the caveat unless it is a medical condition then you go to an and OB. you're going to know that before you get to the point when you're delivering and then so if it's not a medical condition and you're just like able to just live and be you know, just be who you are, you get bigger, you'll have to slow down, and then the next thing you know, you'll have your baby, and then you have to do the fourth trimester. But you just are, you know, having young girls understand that perspective too, like this is not something that we need to be fearful of. No. But, you know, a medical doctor views it as, well, what's my role? Like, I'm, you know, I have to do something, I have to manipulate, because yeah. this couldn't possibly just happen on its own. Why am I getting paid all this money for? Exactly. Like, and if something goes crazy. wrong, I'm going to be held responsible. Yeah, right, yeah. So right. then the answer is, you know, let me cut you open to take the baby out because that's how we can guarantee nothing bad can happen. And it's just like, that's, you know, we see the race for itself. It's obviously not in our best interest. Sorry, that's my That's okay. That's a baby. <laughs> well, Brianne, we know how you got three babies into the world. <laughs> so let's take a break. And when we come back, I guess I'll share my two labor stories, well, my two delivery stories, because I've never been in labor. <laughs> okay, now we're back. So, Pia, it's your turn to tell us about your birth story. Stories. <laughs> well, um, I gave birth to Andrew almost 13 years ago. So, he was born in 2006. And I don't like pain. I don't like needles. So I knew that there was no way that I wanted a cesarean because I didn't even want an IV. An IV. Because I'm trying to find out, is there a way that I can have a, have a hospital birth and not have an IV, which I don't think it's possible. And I it, did. It's possible. I did not. Maybe not at the time. Not at the, and I was at that point, I would not have even contemplated a home birth because I just wasn't on that level yet. Right. It's not even something I would have considered. 
Um, but what was I? Oh, yeah. So I didn't want an epidural. I wanted to go all natural. And I was fine with that until I want to say I was 28 weeks. And I was told that my placenta had not moved and I had a full placenta previous. Because when we had my 20 week ultrasound, it was, oh, it's going to move. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I had another, because with some women, it's just the placenta is just partially covering the cervix. Mine was fully covering. And they're like, but it's going to move. So in my mind, like, it's going to move. I'm still going to aerobics like five times a week, even I'm feeling pressure, but I'm like, I'm not a worrier so much. And I'm like, well, I have this baby sitting here. So there's pressure, but I didn't have any bleeding or anything. So I'm still working out. I'm still going about my my day-to-day life. And at 28 weeks, like, your placenta has not moved. Okay. So at that point, I had to go in for weekly ultrasound because they're hoping that it's going to move. But it never moved. So I was told that I would have to deliver at 36 weeks because they didn't want me to go into labor because if I went into labor, I could bleed to death, which we didn't want to happen because since the placenta was there, he would have essentially ruptured the placenta. So I had to have an amniocentesis at 30 weeks, 36 weeks because they wanted to make sure that his lungs were viable. So they said that if his lungs were viable, they would deliver him the next day. If his lungs were not viable, they would wait one week and they were just going to deliver regardless because they did not want me to go past 37 weeks. But his lungs were viable at 36 weeks. Um, oh, let's talk about the, um, I, I'm afraid of needles. <laughs> so having the amniocentesis, if anyone ever tells you that it does not hurt, either they have a tremendous tolerance for pain or they're lying. Because I felt the needle go through every layer of fat and flesh. It hurt. Like I've never experienced something hurting before. Never would recommend it unless you have to have it. But um, <laughs> it, it, was, it was horrible. I, I was, it was a horrible experience. So the next day I go in and to be prepped for my cesarean, I want to say something went wrong with my IV, which put me in a bad mood. But what was the icing on the cake was that I told them, I want general anesthesia. I told them this is 28, whenever we realized that I was going to have to have a cesarean, like I want general anesthesia. Like, well, we don't, you want to go in. I want to be completely out. And like, well, we don't do general anesthesia for birth because it will cross into the baby's bloodstream. Like, that's fine because the stress that I'm going to experience from you putting that needle in my spine is going to transfer to the baby. But they wouldn't do it. So I want to say the procedure was delayed about 35 to 40 minutes because I was not allowing anyone to stick me. So they had to sedate me. They had to give me something that pretty much put me out without putting me out. My husband was in at that time because typically they don't allow husbands in the room when they are doing um, spinals. But I I guess they thought that he could negotiate with me or convince me. And I'm like, obviously you hadn't realized who I am over the past um, nine months. But um, they knocked me out. I woke up. I had a baby. He was six pounds, 13 ounces. I want to say he was 18 inches. So I feel like he was a good size oh, to be to come at 36 weeks. He was a nice, good size. But I knew I was told then that I would I would not be a candidate for a VBAC 
because my um, incision on my uterus is vertical. Okay. My incision goes, basically starts at my belly button and it goes down because of the position of my placenta. If they had given me a low line cut, they would have cut my placenta. So they had to cut above and then they had to kind of maneuver him out. So they had to use the vacuum to pull him up and out. So he had a little cone head to be a, a cesarean birth. But um and he had a cone head too. She was trying to get out. <laughs> yeah. she, she had a cone. These they came out, they came out. So it makes sense. <laughs> cesarean birth with a cone head. Michael said that he looked like very uh, like nervous and like uh, down. He's like, so he came out with Oh, and then, well, and after that, I had a good experience. I delivered in a um, baby-friendly hospital, which they were just beginning to become, like, they really weren't even popular at, at that time, because at that time, the nursery was where babies were taken, but this facility was all rooming in, mm-hmm. and I didn't like the, the labor and delivery nurses as much, and I feel as if that's something I'm sure they've worked on, but... I was doing skin to skin and the labor and delivery nurse was like, no, he needs to be wrapped up because he's having problems maintaining his body temperature because he is, you know, so young. And as soon as I get to the mother baby fully, like, you need to do skin to skin. Right. Exactly. And I'm like, okay, so this woman just chastised me for doing what I knew I needed to do, but that was probably my only negative experience. Um, I was there. My doctor was like, if you want to stay an extra day, you can. It's like, I'm ready to go home. But as soon as I got home, I wish that I hadn't because it was just so nice being there. But the manual, I knew going in. I even went to the ICANN site to see if protocol had changed Mm -hmm. in that time. The only thing that I did learn had changed is that they no longer performed the amniocentesis. So it was just... When I went in, I told my doctor, this is me, this is my case, I want to deliver on this day. So I knew going in when I was going to deliver. And this I, is a different doctor. This is a different doctor because I delivered my first son in Georgia. Right. So I'm in Atlanta at this time. And my first obstetrician was a woman. I had a miscarriage. I got pregnant again maybe two months after my miscarriage. And when I returned, she told me I am quitting to go work in a clinic with pregnant mothers who are on Medicaid. Okay. So I had to find a new obstetrician. And I will add- Awesome for you it, and for those women. Not awesome for me. <laughs> not awesome for me. I, my 30s were hard because I was fat in my 30s. I've never been fat before, but 30s, 30 was hard for me. And I was slightly overweight going in. So I was overweight when I was pregnant. I was over the age of 33. So I was already a geriatric pregnancy. And I was yes. an obese um, geriatric pregnancy. I don't believe in geriatric pregnancies. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say the difference between being pregnant at 30 and the I difference. Read that. I was like, what? <laughs> How'd that happen? I was just here 18 months ago. Exactly. I was youthful and gorgeous. Now I'm sure. No. <laughs> I hear an old broad. Right? I had to find someone new. I was, I wanted to deliver at a specific hospital. Even though there was one that I really wanted to deliver at that was new, I wanted to deliver at a specific facility that did not move women. Um, you labor delivered and did postpartum in one room. 
and I wanted to deliver in a specific place because of that. I like the um the reputation of the hospital, but the facility. Well, anyway, before I can get there, so I decided to just remain at the same um, hospital. Food. I found someone, but I don't. I didn't. I'm not gonna say I didn't like her, but I didn't have a good feeling because from the very beginning, she said to me, "Well, you're probably going to have to have a hysterectomy." I'm like, okay, right. can we have an MRI first, okay? I know going, that... Going there, yeah. I'm just like, oh, you know what? Well, because I already had one placenta previous, it's, I was at an increased risk of placenta accretion where the placenta begins to, um, to pull away. Okay. Or no, no, that's when it buries into the wall of your uterus. Right. And so I was at an increased risk. And oftentimes a woman does have to have hysterectomy but I'm like can we have the MRI first to even see if this is even where my placenta is I did have a slight placenta preview but it didn't matter because I knew that I had to have a uh, c-section anyway but what forced me to begin a search for a new obstetrician is when I had my um my glucose test she was convinced that I was going to have gestational diabetes. And I think I had already done my one, I passed my one hour test. Okay. But she was just like adamant about hey, me doing it baby. three hours. This is my second baby. And this is when you were overweight. Yes. So she was so adamant. Have, I think it had something to do with it. You were it. black and you were overweight. Oh, like, and, oh, I know. Exactly. Exactly. I know. We don't need and, to test you. And my thing is my, my blood pressure would be elevated and I would tell them, okay, I just walked two miles from the parking garage. Give me a few seconds. Yeah, and it would always go, it would always be where it's supposed to be. Like, but I just walked this far. But anyway, so um, of course, when she called to give me my results from the three hour, she sounded sad. It was something like, she, she just wasn't happy because it was just like, oh, you know, I'm calling to tell you that you passed your three hours. Like, I want to let you know you, you, you passed the three hour test. But it, it was just, it was just too routine. There was no, because I would think that even as a doctor, you're glad that your patient does not have to go through this another procedure because yeah. that makes it easier on you. That's one less thing as a doctor you have to right, worry right. about. So at that point, I began to look for another obstetrician, but I was maybe 24, 20, I don't know. I was past the point that people want to take, um, you. take you on. It's also the fact that I was high risk because of the, um, because of my past history, I was considered high risk and then my age. So I was going to be like calling my friends. Like, I mean, if you don't know, in order to get into some of the preferred obstetricians, you have to have a referral. Right. So everyone with whom I had received a referral, those doctors were booked because I'm coming in late. So they had right. already met their quota. I happened to talk to a friend who herself was a doctor and she saw a doctor who used to deliver at Memorial Harmon Southwest, but he had recently moved to maybe to another facility in Houston. So he was establishing his practice right. and he was open to taking me on. And I think that that was the best thing. And if anyone ever needs a obstetrician recommendation, 
I can recommend this guy to you in good faith because I love the fact that he was just, yeah. He was always late for appointments. I love that. And he was always, <laughs> he was always talking to nurses about what was going on with his patients in the delivery room. It wasn't, oh, well, he, it, he was never stressed. And to me, when a doctor is late, that lets me know they're not there at 7 o'clock in the morning doing C-sections. Mm. At least that's my take on it. And the facility where I deliver has a low C-section rate. He's not, he couldn't have that conversation with me because I was not having a C-section. But he allowed me, he didn't try to dismiss, be dismissive of what I knew because that's what the other doctor you, you seem to know an awful lot. I'm like, yeah, I know an awful lot. It's my body. But he was never dismissive of that. And every time I would go in, I knew he knew my kids because he could bring up random conversations about my children. He would ask me what was going on to make me a part of the process. And that's what he's done with other women I know who have delivered with him. So they know exactly what's going on because you need to know when you're delivering. So... We set a date at 36 weeks, but as time went on, I asked, I said, can we wait till 37 weeks? I want to give this one just that, that a little more time. And he said, okay. He said, but that's okay. He is fine. We need the background noise. And my doctor said, we'll wait till 37 weeks, but if you feel any pain, anything, I want you to come in. Right. And I think I saw him three times that week. <laughs> <You're> like, <"Dude." laughs> I'm like, I cut my finger. I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I'm breathless. And every time I went in, he never tried to convince me to go ahead. He's like, well, you sure you don't want to go on? He was like, well. It wasn't on his time. Exactly. It, time. it was on my time. He respected that. And, and you know, I wonder sometimes if it's, if it's the doctor, if it's just the system, like, are they being pressured to? You know, yeah, yeah. But your story is, is original. It is. So I feel like if you see an older doctor, no, he was, like, he was a, our age. a lot more confidence. He was a white him. man from Arkansas, so it could have gone either way. Ozark. He was probably you know more like those like those Burke type boots under his clothing. So I mean, it, we could have had we could have had the, just the whole the bias for me being a black female there, but. Um, of course, I did my normal. I'm not going to allow you to stick me. It they it didn't sedate me, but so no, that's the only problem that I have. I think it took a few sticks. It was a few sticks before they got it right because right, I right. I kept jumping. But um, and I'm not going to blame that on him. Because that wasn't him. When I met with the anesthesiologist, oh, all women have these concerns. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not all women. Because this is going to be a problem. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a needle in my back. Even for blood work, it can take a few minutes with me. But um, I had a great delivery. He did tell me that when he opened me up, my uterus was exceptionally thin. That, but, I guess that was a risk that I was willing to take. And I'm, I'm glad I did because my youngest son, even though he was born at 37 weeks, he was only, he was like six pounds, five ounces. He was a little smaller, but he, his weight dropped to like below five pounds. So if he had come a week earlier, he probably would already been a half a pound smaller. 
Right. Let me just, uh, this, one, this one's just a little peculiar. He was a great nurser. That's the one thing I say. <laughs> My oldest, he was that, that 36 weeks. I think it did affect his relationship. But being 37 weeks, he's a champion nurser from day one. He's latched on like a champion has not made no sense. But so that's my story. It's mine. Yeah, it's beautiful. So we've had three different experiences. A few weeks ago, we had, so I don't know, was it weeks, episodes? I can't keep up. We had Sabali and her unassisted childbirth, which I think is amazing in itself. And then Brienne had a C-section the first time, and then she was able to have two, two V-backs. Two V-backs. So you know, childbirth. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to go through okay. It's a hybrid scene. And I had a cesarean, but my cesarean was medically necessary. So even I think we are all fortunate in the fact that it might not have gone how we wanted, but we had a team of medical professionals. Oh, except, the except for Sabali. <laughs> in the beginning. The first the one. The first one. Yes. Yes, the yes. first one. But yeah, yeah. ultimately, you feel as if, but even then, you said it was more, you kind of took the ownership for it mm -hmm. in the experience, but you know what to do next time. And I think that's something that we, that as women, we need to take the responsibility the doctors are important but they can only allow us to do they can only do to us what we allow them to do we can stop procedures we can change doctors you can fire what yes in labor i have you can do that <laughs> so doctors need to be held responsible for what they do wrong but we also need to stop them before they get to that point of doing wrong and they're, and they're awesome, too, when they're needed. They yeah. are. When they're needed. We are so blessed to have the medical we, facilities that we have here in Texas and in the United States. Because not every woman can have a home birth. Right. right. Not every woman can have a not home Not every birth. woman wants a home birth. That's true. That's true. And I, that's what I also realized. Just because you this can happen doesn't mean some women are like, they're like, yeah, that's my right, like, right choice. Yeah, exactly. And I think what our three birth stories actually represent is that um, even though they had various different outcomes. One thing we all had in agreement was that we were knowledgeable and we made the choice and the decision and not the other way around. Exactly. Usually what I hear is a woman who's completely, the locus of control is completely out of her hands and they're just doing whatever they want and you know she's now having to deal with the consequences of that. And so that, that's a big difference. And even if you take your information from Google, it's a start. It's a start to put you on the track to finding the books and connecting with organizations like I Can and I did a free birth society for free birth society so that you can get some evidence based information to make informed choices with your birth. So I'll talk to you ladies again. All right. All right. Absolutely. It it's fun. time for Zuzu's nap. Yes, it is. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you guys for inviting me today. You're welcome. Bye. The podcast is over, but that does not mean that the conversation has to end. Connect with Brianne and I on Instagram at Mommy, Where Is My Shoe? Or you may email us at podcast at Mommy, Where Is My Shoe.com. We also have a website, so check it out www.mommy, Where Is My Shoe.com. Before you go, do us a favor. If you like Mommy, Where Is My Shoe, the podcast, please rate us in your app. And if you don't like it, email us at podcast at mommywhereismyshoe.com and tell us why. Either way, thank you for the feedback. Goodbye.